What is up, Irish fans? Tuesday edition, Locked On Irish podcast. So stoked to be with you guys. We are the official Notre Dame podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, great win over Stanford over the weekend. Uh, a lot of big things happening for the Irish, one of which is a bowl game coming up. So uh, we're going to break down today that bowl game, who we think they're going to play, where they, where we think they're going to go. We're going to talk about uh, something I've done in the off in, during the season and for the past few years, something I've never released personally, is uh, ranking the opponents we play, especially now that the season's completed. Kind of look back at our, our best win, worst loss, uh, how the teams we played did, and then we'll look at the depth chart going into next year and how the, the physicality and, and just the standards of our receivers may be changing and, and the potential fifth-year guys and who, who we might want back, who might be coming back, uh, just what we're hearing. So I uh, got my co-host here, Mark Hissom. How's it going, man? Going great, buddy. Go Irish. Go Irish indeed, indeed. Make sure you're checking us out, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Tell your friends, Locked on Irish Podcast is here. Follow us, follow, follow us at... Locked on Irish on Twitter. Facebook page will be up and fully functional very, very soon. So make sure you're checking us out on there. Uh, we got a lot of good, good, good things happening. We're really, uh, really pumped to get this thing off the ground. Like I said in a previous show, I have so much faith in my team. I think that, um, and not talking crap about any of the other podcasts, I've listened to them. They're great at Locked On, but I think this one could be one of the best that uh, the Locked On Network has just because I've, I've seen what my team can do. And uh, I hope, uh, hope everybody enjoys our show, even if you're not an Notre Dame fan. Check in. From time to time, we'll get into talking about just the entire landscape of college football because we're just college football fans. So, um, Irish finished off a 10-win year on Saturday. First time since the early 90s that we've got back-to-back-to-back 10-win seasons. Um, Just to start there, uh, Hissam, how do you feel about uh, that streak, getting 10, 12 last year, and 10 this year? I mean, obviously, it's historic. It hasn't been done since Holtz. Um, so, I mean, it's it feels good, but yeah. it doesn't feel good, right. if that makes sense. No, it doesn't because we don't have a title to talk about there. And, and you know, some of our biggest games we've lost. Now, on the positive side, because I don't want to be completely Debbie Downer on this, in the last two seasons, we haven't lost a game at home. And that feels good. That feels really good, defending the home turf. In fact, in that this in this stretch, we've only lost to Georgia at home since 2017. Yeah, it makes going to a Notre Dame game more fun for sure. Yeah, you know, and the environment eh, has never been good there. Um, it's getting better. I think it's getting better. But, you know, one thing that can make it better and can make it a little more intimidating is when teams come to Notre Dame and they say, man, these guys haven't lost here in a while. You know, it might not be LSU at night. It might not be Clemson at night, but hey, nobody's winning up here, and yeah. you know that that can make up for a lot of atmosphere issues, if you will. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I hate to say Notre Dame's Notre Dame, but I mean it is laid back atmosphere for a college football game. I mean, if you've been to other games at other schools, then you know what what we're talking about. If you haven't then you don't know what you're missing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's different. Um, I think part of the issue with the stadium and um, is the stadium holds sound better now and with some of the new initiatives to get people more hyped up, it has gotten better. Uh, But I think one of the issues is just a numbers problem. I mean, we only have, like, with grad students, isn't it like 10,000 kids or something like that, if that. And these other schools, I mean, you look at Austin, Texas, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Oklahoma, you know, Tallahassee. That's a bad one because their fan base is terrible when they're bad. At least we're selling out even when we're good. But uh, their student body is huge. We're talking 40, 50, 60,000 students. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame has a good tailgate. 
Yeah, they have a great tailgate. So, and I've never taken anybody up there. Ohio State fan, Michigan fan, fan of anybody. Somebody that says they says they hate Notre Dame, and they don't come away saying, "Man, you know, I'm not let me like cheering for Notre Dame." I'm not saying I've converted people, but they come back with like, "Wow, that was really cool." I've never had anybody have a bad time. Oh no, the campus is awesome. I mean, it's I'd say spiritual. Yeah, but the first time you go there, it's that's amazing. Yeah, very much so. So we'll get into these bowl um, predictions. I know there's a million different predictions out there right now, but right now, I mean, it essentially looks like we're going to the Camping World Bowl. I'm not going to play the game. There's a hundred different articles out there that talking about one, just going to the Camping World Bowl, and two, what's Notre Dame's path to the Cotton Bowl, and what's Notre Dame's path to the Orange Bowl, and it just seems like a small miracle would have to happen. Um, and it's really frustrating because you mentioned it on yesterday's show on how you know. Wouldn't you think that some of these bowls would just come out and just say, like, look, it's Notre Dame. They're 10-2. and two. Like, Yeah. Contracts be damned. Like, how do we not have Virginia versus Alabama in the Orange Bowl? Right. And, and for all you guys out there that want Notre Dame to join the conference, we would be the second-best team in the ACC playing in this bowl. Exactly. 90% of the time. Exactly. Until we, our program recovers. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the ACC is just brutal this year. I mean, the next quality team, I don't disagree that Virginia is a good team. I, I, I love Bryce Perkins, but, I mean, right now you're looking at, I guess Jerry Palm does have Virginia and Penn State. He actually doesn't even have Alabama in a New Year's Six. Get this. I mean, bet the farm on the Citrus Bowl if this happens. Virginia Tech and Alabama. No way. Oh, my. I, oh, absolutely. I would put every dime I have on Alabama to win that game. That is insane. But Alabama lost. The two teams that Bama played with a pulse this year, they got beat. Yeah. So, I mean, what are you going to do with that? But, again, you got Penn State and you got Virginia. Does that really move anybody's meter? You know, the Cotton Bowl, for instance, it's going to be played at noon. Let's just say that what Jerry Palm says is accurate here. Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. But so the Cotton Bowl is going to be played at noon. It's a New Year's Six Bowl. The Camping World Bowl is going to be played at noon. He's got Memphis and Utah in the Cotton Bowl. He's got Texas Notre Dame in the Camping World Bowl. What's getting better ratings? I know exactly. I mean, come on. I'm not saying Texas deserves a New Year's Six by any stretch of the imagination, but strictly from a ratings perspective, I mean, you know, take out Utah. Utah would have their second loss this week if they lose to Oregon. They would have their second loss. Does that not kick them out? I mean, our resume is much better than theirs. We've lost to two ranked teams. Yeah, you would think. But, I mean, right now, we're there's currently, what, five teams ahead of us that have two losses? Yeah, from everything I understand, we need to um, crack the top 12 to get into a New Year's Six. And I don't know that it's going to happen. I mean, we've been shown no respect by the playoff committee the last few weeks. I mean, you've seen it hiss them. I mean, we've had nothing. We can't move. No. And, and that's the thing. I mean... If Notre Dame can't, if they're not going to make the playoffs by being undefeated, and they're the second-ranked ACC team, why, why move them? What's the difference? There's no point. They're going to play in the, the, uh, you know, the bowl on the 28th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm almost okay with, given that projection. Let's just talk Cotton Bowl for a minute. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know the ins and outs of. It. Let's just talk Cotton Bowl for a minute. Remove. Utah put in Notre Dame against Memphis. I'm not sure a Cotton Bowl win over Memphis does much for us. And on the flip side, a Cotton Bowl loss to Memphis? Ooh. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about the critics coming out when we get blown out on the national stage in these big bowl games. Let us lose to Memphis on the national stage. That's a problem. We don't lose that game. I don't disagree. However, 
uh, you know, they have a high powered offense. Um, ugh, I don't know. It's, it's tough. It, it, and you don't know what these breaks are going to do. You know what I mean? You absolutely have no idea what these breaks are going to do to these teams. You know, they may, right. you know, you have so many days off, you, they may come out and fire on all cylinders and, and be great. And then they may come out and play like how we started against Stanford last week. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, you know, we kind of talked about that uh, in previous show, you know, get, or how these teams get up for these games and whether they can sustain it. Um, you know, everyone's going to be up for the game, especially if you're paying, if we're playing Memphis, it's going to be, this is their Super Bowl. A hundred percent. Yeah, but I mean, even though it's a, a bowl game for them, I mean, it's Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we weather the storm, we win that game easily. Yeah, I mean, our athletes, we've seen it down the stretch of this of this season too, and is you know has this stretch of games we're on a four four game winning streak at this point we've had uh navy we've had duke virginia tech we've had stanford it's fine but i think the one of the biggest reasons we're winning those games is our athletes are just that much better than the the opponents yeah and i've done five i think five since michigan yeah and i think that is probably what would what would help us beat memphis um athlon sports who i really trust um they got Sugar Bowl, Georgia, Baylor. That's a blowout, in my opinion. Minnesota, Utah, and the Rose Bowl, Virginia, Alabama. Uh, I think these were projected a few days ago, um, so don't take anything from that one. Let's try to find, let's see, 247. They're pretty reliable. Let's see what we can find here. Try to help us out. We are right up against a break, so let's go ahead and give a shout-out to the Good old sponsors here. So today we're going to give a shout out to our friends at DoorDash. These guys are great for if you're just chilling out at home and you need a meal and don't feel like going out. So treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurant come to you with DoorDash right now. Our listeners get a free $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from our Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Let's take a break. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, guys, we are back, Locked on Irish Podcast. I'm going to finish up the discussion here on just kind of projecting where this team's going to land in a bowl game. Uh, Finally got the 247 uh, rankings up here. They still have Virginia and uh, Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Uh, That's going to be brutal if that happens. As much as I like Bryce Perkins and I believe in Virginia being a good team, uh, they're going to get blown out in that game. Now, 247 uh, has us in the Camping World Bowl against Oklahoma State. We were talking in the break there that uh, Oklahoma State and Texas are my only two acceptable picks in that game. Uh, Hissam, you found another opponent that came up. Yeah, Athlon's uh, calling for Iowa State. Iowa State. That does nothing for me. Now, that'll get a great rating. I, I, Notre Dame moves the meter, man. They're going to sell that game out. Um, I, yeah, I mean, what can you say? It'll get a great rating. In fact, I think it gets a better rating 
than the Cotton Bowl. If it's if you're putting Utah and Memphis in the Cotton Bowl, they're not even going to sell that game out. No. If you're talking about ratings only, I mean, why not Notre Dame and Penn State? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge ratings bonanza there. You know, a big, uh, big followings there. I just, I don't understand it. Uh, this is the most. This is the discussion that we weren't supposed to have when the once the BCS came along, and then the playoff come along. We weren't even supposed to have these discussions of second ACC team gets in no matter what. No, they need to expand it to eight teams. Well, they need to expand the playoffs to eight teams. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, it's just going to be more exciting for everyone. I mean, college football. I've said this on other shows. The most exciting sport in America has the almost the Euro soccer-like following. The regular season couldn't be more perfect, and I've never seen a sport screw up their ending so bad. Oh, yeah, it's, no. a, it's like a great movie. In the ending, you walk away with, like, what just even happened? Like, I know. It's horrible. Like, what other sport has these bowl games? I mean, bowl games are great. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to watch. For, I even have a bad bowl game day planned with some buddies. December 21st, we're all going out. We're going to watch every one of them. We're going to have a couple pops along the way. It's going to be a great time. We do it every year. However, it it kind of doesn't make any sense. I mean, what other sport is like, yeah, you get one, you get one. We're going to hold a trophy at the end. Everybody's a winner. Like This is like the most like 2019 everybody gets a trophy thing, but it's been going on since like the 1900s. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, you know, obviously when the BCS came along, they couldn't just scrap everything and start over. Right. So the the BCS playoffs, uh, well, actually, they didn't even have the playoffs when they first came in, but uh, once the playoffs started, they, you know, you still got to keep the bowl game. So what are they going to do with them? Yeah. Well, I mean, they got to figure out who's going to go where. So my thing's always been do a 32 team playoff and use your bowl locations as each round. Yeah, for sure. If that That would make the most sense. Yeah. I mean, at a 32 team playoff, you could actually do home and homes. And how incredible would it be to have something of substance get one at these cathedral cathedrals of stadiums. This is a super old rant. You have to go back to one of my first podcasts I've ever done. And I know this segment's going a little long, but I don't care. Something I want to get out there is, you know, we have these beautiful stadiums, multi-million dollar stadiums. They're incredible. And they're only used for, their purpose six to seven times a season, you know, and actually nothing of any kind of substance is ever really won. They don't play a conference championship on them, no bowl games, no playoff games. So why don't a 32 team playoff, a home and home in the first round. Could you imagine like a Florida coming up to like Notre Dame and no, Alabama at Ohio state in December and in round one and round one. Oh, it would be incredible. And or how good, how, how beneficial was it to the school that's hosting? Yeah, I mean, the tailgates would be incredible. The money that would come in. I'll do you one better. You know how college basketball in the tournament does regions? Yeah. You have a region of four, and you have, like, Notre Dame hosting whoever. I'm saying, in my scenario, they're the higher-ranked seed because reasons. And then you have, like, the same location right after that, maybe a couple hours later because of warm-ups, you have Utah Minnesota. Yeah. And then the winners play each other on that field. So you have two teams playing in a neutral site in that region or something. You right. could do you know something be like that. all over that. Jerry Jones. Let's oh, get absolutely. Jerry Jones on the phone. Yeah, let's call Jerry. Since he's on my phone, I'll call him after the show. We'll get this sorted out. Probably about give us till Wednesday. We'll have it figured out. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve hours of football in his cathedral. Yeah. Oh, that would be incredible. An incredible idea. You know, either do the home and home or again, do regions. And then they do this in women's basketball because I don't think, you know, no offense, not a lot of people are going to a neutral location um, 
you know, if it's not hosted at a school, because like the first round in the, in the region is always like, so Notre Dame has been the higher seed a lot. Yeah. So you'd have all four schools at Notre Dame. They don't necessarily sell out to come to like nationwide, right. which is neutral for everybody. So um, it's just a thought, uh, something, uh, you know, kicking around uh, for a long time. And obviously it's a very passionate rant of mine. So uh, yeah. Anyhow, so let's talk about the rankings of our opponents. So this season, I think hands down, we talked about in our lost episode on Black Friday that uh, Georgia clearly best team we've played. Any argument there? No, not for me. Um, but I will start from the bottom up. You know, now that the season's over, um, I talked about this again, lost episode. If you can help us find it, that'd be great. But uh, so I think Bowling Green is hands down the worst team that I've ever laid witness to in a stadium live. Yeah, um, that was awful. It was and that's te- a game game I chose to go to this year. Yeah, we chose. But did you choose that? Yes, we did. Unfortunately, so we have nobody to complain to but ourselves. Well, it's a, whoever scheduled it for that weekend is who I'm blaming it on. Yeah, true. But uh, I never had seen a team try to run the clock out on themselves, and you know, it's like I'm sitting there watching this game, and they're not even trying to win. Was the thing that blew me away. Yeah, it's got to be a new thing because I've seen it a couple times in high school this year too. So yeah, yeah, we covered a game this year and team was down by I think four touchdowns. And granted, they scored on this drive, but they literally ate up the entire third quarter and showed no urgency to score their one touchdown in this game. And, and I don't know. I mean, when you I guess when you know when you're overmatched, you're overmatched. But I was at both. Again, did you choose this? I sure did. I was at New Mexico. Uh, for me, I love the home openers. There's nothing like you've waited nine months, ten months, whatever it is, and man, it doesn't matter what the projection of your team is. That one day, no matter how the season ends, that one day, the home openers are always incredible. So I was at New Mexico, and you know, New Mexico, they're running some misdirection. The quarterback was a transfer from uh, Tennessee. He's out there trying to make plays. You know, Jalen Elliott out there got I think picked him twice that day. He the the point i'm trying to make is is the difference between the two schools they're both bad new mexico's out there trying to do some things you know they're trying to make something happen and taking a chance yeah yeah i mean i can't argue with any part of that because i mean that what bowling green did was ridiculous yeah i I mean that was a literally uh, they might as well just cash their check and just moved on um you know one team that surprised us this year now surprised me they got beat down yesterday and I had them ranked as our uh, sixth best team on the schedule. I think I'm going to change that to seventh uh, is uh, Louisville. Finished seven and five. And, you know, I watched that game at the beginning of the year. Now, granted, they got beat down by Kentucky. It was close at halftime, 17-13. It did not end close. But I said after that game, a lot of people were complaining, and rightfully so. You know, we just come off of a playoff. They come off of probably being the worst power five team in the country. But I said that's going to be a bowl team. And as a matter of fact, the one time I'm right, they actually are a bowl team. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think they should drop as well. I mean, we they're probably worse than they were now. I mean, they're probably worse now than when we played them. And I felt like at the time we weren't we were trying not to show anything. Yeah, you know, because obviously we had Georgia coming up two weeks uh, from that date. So I don't think we really got a great look at you know how bad they actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they showed some flashes, and Satterfield's a good coach, man. I mean, he. He essentially, you know, built uh, Appalachian State after their original coach that uh, beat Michigan left. You know, he he's an Appalachian State guy. He came up through the ranks there and obviously kept them to be a winning program, helped them transition into being a uh, uh, FBS school. So I think there's a lot of success to come from Louisville. And in fact, Satterfield's somebody to keep an eye on in future coaching ranks. 
Um, now, you know, Navy is a team that is just really hard to figure out right now. Uh, nine wins, but both teams they play with a pulse, Memphis and Notre Dame, they pretty much got beat up on by. Yeah, I mean, that's – but that's kind of what Navy does most years. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had a, a few – or a couple years that they've, they've done better than anyone would have expected. But, I mean, that's really who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the best team we beat this year, they just fired their coach there on Sunday. As I, I think it was USC. I, I think USC had a lot of athletes. Uh, they came to play that day. Those guys loved Helton. Regardless of how good a coach he was or whatever, you know, he had a, he brought a lot of excitement to that program after Lane Kiffin was kind of a fail and they let Orgeron go, which I don't know how bad of a, a look is it now that they let Orgeron go. Yeah, no kidding. I, you know, then I'm pretty sure their problem started at the top. Yeah, um, they need to they need to do something out there, or they're going to be in trouble for quite a while. So we will finish this discussion right after our last break here, and then get into some Notre Dame depth chart for next season receivers and uh, fifth year guys. Right after this, and we are back, locked on Irish, the official Notre Dame podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network. Last segment for your Tuesday show. Uh, real quick, we got some topics overlapping here, but um, you know, I, I do think uh, we're just finishing up talking about you know ranking our opponents this year, how we think they are. You know, Virginia Tech was a hard one to try to figure out because at one time I thought they were like the tenth best team we'd played. Duke blew them out at Lane Stadium, and Duke finished the season five and seven. Uh, crazily enough, I, I can't even believe I'm looking at this that Stanford finished four and eight this year. Yeah. Um, a lot of injuries though. I mean, you've seen it flash up. They lost something like 26 guys. Yeah. Incredible amount of injuries. That reminds me of us in 15 and somehow we weathered that storm. I mean, we're still losing guys the day of the game against Ohio state when Jerry Tillery got sent home. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, again, you know, I'd love to see USC and Virginia in a bowl game just to settle this because I mean, I don't know at this point who's better. I love Bryce Perkins. Uh, he He's the heart and soul of Virginia. Uh, but overall, I think, wouldn't you agree that USC's our best win this year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, I mean, if you look back at the schedule, you, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's not, you know, and then next, clearly, I think it's Virginia. You know, Virginia yeah. beat Virginia Tech. Uh, and they have some nice guys on that team. But, I mean, also, I think this whole conversation speaks to how bad this schedule was, too. Well, yeah, I mean, we lost our, our sellout streak. Yeah, and we're actually on a non-sellout streak right now. Yeah. So that's not real impressive. But Virginia but, beating Virginia Tech, that's like the first time in 15 years. That's yeah, nuts. Crazy that happened, absolutely. So uh, kind of transition our discussion here, and something I noticed um, – you know, going back to 2015, we've had some really tall receivers with Equinemius St. Brown and Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, and and we've had some guys like Alizé Mack at tight end, and our tight end, you know, tight end is always big. Um, but you know, we were running out of lineup at one time that was you know averaging about six five, six six, depending upon what you look at, or six four, whoever, whatever service you want to look at. Where we had Boykin and Claypool, and then um, uh, Alizé Mack out there, and that's a huge lineup, and you know. But since Will Fuller, we haven't had a really fast lineup of receivers. And next season, looking ahead here, it really seems like we're going to change the dynamics of the receivers, going from tall, big, physical, um, just specimen of guys jumping up and get the ball to more quick twitch, uh, smaller receivers with Austin, Keys, and Lindsey. Um, I know we talked about in our last episode that it'll forever be known as. Um, what, what's your thoughts on um, you know having smaller receivers, more quick guys as opposed to bigger physical guys? I mean, I like a good balance to be honest with you. But you know, if you think of, think back to when what big receivers started to, to become more mainstream, most teams would have one big receiver, mm-hmm. and the rest of the guys were all fast, speedy guys. 
Um, and then if you look now across the NFL, um, that's kind of what they do. It's big receivers on the outside, and there's your fast, speedy guys down the middle of the field, and crossing routes, slants, whatever. Um, I think if we could get to a good mix, that'd be great. I mean, we don't need to always be big or always be small. Yeah, I think one of what's who's one of the first big receivers you remember? Mine is uh, Plaxico Burroughs. Yeah, yeah, just Plaxico. a jump up and get it yeah. guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, I remember him at Michigan State, just making wild plays, just absolutely wild plays back there, and just really being exciting to watch. Unfortunately, a few times against Notre Dame, but you know, yeah, yeah, that's probably the first one I remember too. You know, but I really think I take that back. What about uh, Pickens? He was pretty big. Yeah. Um, how tall was Randy? Was Moss? No, nah, Randy was. He, I think Randy was six three. Yeah, so he wasn't that clipping that six five basketball player uh, player range. Um, but I, I do like the fact of going just a little bit um, smaller and faster. Um, it has to be somebody that can get open, which I think Lindsey can. I'm not sure anybody can match up with Lindsey with another year of development. No, I mean you just watch him; he just runs by him. I mean, mm-hmm. if they don't get a hand on him. They're they're toast. You know, you usually say, like, well, get his shoulders turned sideways. Well, in our offense right now, if his shoulders are turned sideways, that means he's full speed, and you better be ahead of him. Yeah. And, you know, Keys, he's showing some speed. I think he needs a little bit better vision sometimes. Um, Sometimes with Keys, I'm just not sure what he's running towards. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's all going to come down to practice, how many reps they're getting. I mean, because right now you know who's getting all the reps. Yep. Um, you know, it's Claypool, it's Fink, you know, Keys is out there, but you know, he's going to take on a larger role, I think next season. Now, interestingly enough, and what really sparked me to start thinking about this going into next year was the fact that, um, you know, Kevin Austin has been kind of been lost in this because of, you know, suspended the first four games and then it turned out he's going to be out for the entire year. And from everything I've heard, Kelly brought him up, I think in last week's presser and in Chase Claypool was kind of talked to, um, impromptu interview and said that he's still learning and it's scary because of how good he is. Oh yeah. And, um, just to have a big, a physical guy like that, you know, he's six two, he'll be the tallest of the group. But, uh, you know, I I really think that he's going to change the game a little bit. And with being complimented by Lindsay and uh, keys, I'm really interested to see who's going to emerge from that group and be the number one next season. Yeah, me too. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, during the spring. So kind of transition here, looking in, looking into next year, and we'll do this several times, uh, you know, probably a hundred times before the season starts. But the guys that are eligible for fifth years, um, it's actually kind of a long list, and there's a lot of good names on here. One that stuck out to me is uh, Tony Jones Jr. Um, can you, I mean, would you take, are you ready to take Tony Jones back next season? Yeah, absolutely. He's a great third down back. Um, you know, he's been forced to play a role he isn't really designed for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd be excited to have him back. Yeah, I, I agree from a leadership perspective, and we've also said, you know, he's a great number two. We we take number him as a number two uh, any day of the week. Um, you know, especially we're gonna have a true freshman coming in and Chris Tyree next year that I truly believe is gonna start right away. I mean, I, if not start, I shouldn't say start because I know Kelly too well. Significant, meaningful minutes is gonna come his way. Yeah, we need to. I mean, what. We've been we've been planning on speed. I mean, that's been the talk, the focus for the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Speed, speed, speed. So I mean, you gotta you gotta give him the ball. Absolutely. And you know, and if he isn't, then that must mean somebody has stepped up because Kyron Williams is taking a red shirt this year. Um, and there's a piece of me that would almost be okay if he's not, as long as it's not because of well, he can't pass block. You know, with Dexter Williams. That was always the big knock on him. If it's because other people stepped up their game, then I'm, hey, great, redshirt him. We'll see you in 2021. 
sounds great. Uh, you know, if we have Sebo coming out looking like Dexter, for instance. Right. And, you know, Avery Davis is going to be a senior next year. Um, you know, I, I definitely, I'd love to see more from him. I don't know where the idea of him being a running back went away to. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, yeah, it's tough. It is because my uh, over-under on him getting 300, when he was named to be a running back, I was like, that dude's getting at least 300 yards this year. And I think he has like five. So I'm definitely lost that one. Um, you know, guys like, uh, Gilman, I think he should come back, but a lot of signs are pointing for him to go pro. Um, again, lost episode talk. You'll never hear it, but we'll bring it back for now. Is how scary a secondary with, we know Pryor's coming in from Ohio State, Gilman, and then the freak, Kyle Hamilton. I mean, come on. That secondary could be incredible. I know. Where, where, where does he go? Where, where do you move him? Gilman? I think to the rover, honestly. I mean, it, unless you're going to have some combination of he just he can fill both roles, which I don't know how good of a free safety he would be. He's more of a strong safety guy, uh, and he can kind of lay the wood. And, but on the flip side, Isaiah Pryor, we've talk, heard, has trouble in coverage. So do you put – and he, he's a physical freak at IMG Academy, played at Ohio State. He has a little trouble in coverage. You know, If he's ready to lay the wood, maybe he goes to the rover because right. Bilal is uh, graduating. Um, you know, some other guys out there, you know, Kramer, we're not sure what he's going to do. He'll probably wait on his letters to the NFL to come back and find out what his eval looks like. Eichenberg says he's coming back. I mean, that's, that's some huge gets if we can get those guys back on the line. Yeah. Komet. Yeah. Komet. Um, Komet's also said he's coming back. He's obviously not a fifth year guy, but, um, he said he's coming back for, uh, you know, this to play again, I've said it in the past. I don't know that he will. I don't know if I would, because he's going to look great in shorts and a t-shirt. And he, you know, he's going to be a problem. He's proved he can catch. He can prove that he's hard to tackle. He's proved he can block. You know, if he goes to the combine, he could essentially be a first round pick, in my opinion. Yeah, he could. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he's, what what he's thinking. You know, I mean, it's yeah. no one knows what's in the head. Yeah, it, I mean, he can say he's coming back all day long, but the bottom line is he may not. So yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, for sure. And then finally, one of the guys that, you know, Jonathan Jones, I don't think will be back. I think he'll use his fifth year somewhere else. He's not really had much of an impact. John Shannon, our long snapper I've heard is uh, retiring because of back issues. We got a, uh, Alex uh, Pettish is coming in. He'll be a true freshman long snapper. Uh, so he'll be able to fill that role. Last one I want to get to is Javon McKinley. Um, you know, army all American, uh, you know, it showed flashes against non-Power 5 teams, but he's just not been able to put it together against good teams. Um, you know, we've talked about, we, we think we want him back if he's able to contribute. Uh, and that senior leadership goes a long way. Yeah, I just haven't seen enough of him to know what he can do. Yeah, really what he can do. You know, he got a little trouble in the offseason, may have had something to do with his playing time. Um, and I also think it's going to come down to the scholarship crunch because based off these numbers, we're at 91 of 85. Right. You know, 90 if you don't count Shannon. Sean Crawford said he's done with football, but then I'm hearing rumors he might use his sixth year. But again, that's all going to come down to we got to meet 85 by you know August. So yeah, maybe uh, let him walk on. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that wraps it up. Tuesday edition, Locked On Irish. Give us a follow at Locked On Irish on Twitter. Remember, we are here now. Notre Dame has a Locked On Irish podcast. Tell your friends. Give us some follows out there. Listen, anywhere you get your podcast, the official Notre Dame podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network. So until tomorrow, well, we will get to, we're going to do a lot of basketball tomorrow. We'll be doing a uh, talk, finally get to that Notre Dame Fairleigh Dickinson game. I'll give you some my, my thoughts on that. We're going to talk just a little bit about, um, you know, big one. It's got a big one coming up. We have uh, Maryland 
coming in here. Um, this is the uh, Notre Dame or the yeah Notre Dame the ACC and uh, Big Ten Challenge. Um, Notre Dame has been pretty successful in these challenges, and I gotta say we got a we got a juggernaut or not necessarily a juggernaut, but we got a dang good team coming in here who just beat Marquette on Sunday, uh, eighty four to sixty three, and you know Marquette's a team with Marcus Howard, just a it's just a stud of a player, and uh, you know there's really no no uh, in between. We've been playing a lot of teams with nothing. And then we've played North Carolina and about to play Maryland. So uh, we'll be having some preview for that tomorrow morning. So until next time, go Irish. Go Irish.